And he, that is Joseph, commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sack with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Also put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, and his grain money. So he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. And when they had gone out of the city and were not yet far off, Joseph said to his steward, Get up, follow the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not this the one from which my Lord drinks, and with which he indeed practices divinitation? You have done evil in so doing. So he overtook them, and he spoke to them these words, and they said to him, Why does the Lord say these words? My Lord, say these words. Far be it from us that your servant should go do such a thing. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? With whomever your servant it is found, let him die, and we also will be my Lord's slaves. And he, the steward, said, and he said, Now let it also be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave, and you shall be blameless. Then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground. Each opened his sack. So he searched... He began with the oldest and left off with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. So Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house and he was still there. And they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said to them, what deed is this that you've done? Did you not know that such a man as I certainly practiced divinitation? Then Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and also he who with whom the cup was found. But he, Joseph, said, far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go in peace to your father. This is a defining moment. It was one of the Old Testament prophets who said, multitudes and multitudes in the valley of decision. It's the day of the Lord in the valley of decision. And this very moment is such a monumental, defining moment yet again for these brothers. What they did 20 years prior when they, in jealousy and wrath and pride and youthful arrogance, what they did as a cruel, malicious prank to their younger 17-year-old brother, to sell him into slavery to the Midianites for 20 pieces of silver has haunted them for 20 years. A whole chapter dedicated to Judah's immorality and the consequences of the path that he went down. We just know those 20 years were a lie. It was horrible to live those 20 years. Now, it's not hard to think of 20 years for us because Y2K was 20 years ago. And you, those of you that were older remember how, what a big deal Y2K was when it was coming up. It was going to be the end of the world. So we just go back to Y2K when we first started having cell phones and stuff like that, 20 years, to today. That's how long, two decades, their lives have been on hold, living a lie, seeing their father every day, knowing that they deceived their father, Jacob, into thinking Joseph was dead. And year after year, that lie would gnaw at their hearts. And the longer they lived that lie, the deeper and more entrenched the roots were of that lie, and that their whole, their lives were lies, They were alive on the outside, but dead on the inside because of their sin, and their entire lives were built upon a lie, deceiving their father. And even as they said their father's life was bound up in the life of Benjamin, his heartache and sorrow was bound up in having, thinking, perceiving, believing that he had lost Joseph. 
but never to have the body, right? Like, so if there's a fire, you don't find a body, or there's an accident, or someone drowns at sea and there's no body. Like, there's not closure, but when you have a body, there can be closure, but there was no body, so there was no closure, and it's open-ended. So it's even a, it's even a harder room, because remember, in the, in, the old, in the Bible, when people die, they, they want to put them in the ground right away. That, that's what they would do, and there was closure. So that first weeping in the Bible is Abraham weeping at the cave of Machpelah for Sarah, weeping for his wife, but there's, there's that grief that's God designed for dealing with death and emotion. Jesus wept at Lazarus' tomb, right? And, and you have that. Jacob never had that. What kind of formal memorial service did he have for Joseph? Or closure? We don't know. But we know his life took a dramatically different turn after losing his adult 17-year-old son in his mind, thinking he was dead. But yet, these 10 other brothers deceiving him and living a lie for two decades, from Y2K to now, on our timeline. And Benjamin, the younger brother, had no idea it was a lie, so he's just clueless. He's in the tents, and he's a part of the family and the estate and all things that they do, the family business, all the stuff they do. He has no idea that his brother's alive and that his half-brothers have been living a lie and presenting a lie to his father for 20 years. He just knows he's got to go down to Egypt that they're going to eat and not starve. And he knows his dad's very upset, calls out on God Almighty, El Shaddai, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. And God's hand is on his father, and we see Jacob trust in his father, the heavenly father, and that faith of Jacob, Benjamin would have seen, and the brothers would have seen it too. But of course, the brothers are plagued with guilt. And here, at this defining moment, when this is all comes to a head, they just, we've already seen in the previous chapters, they know that like, the Lord is bringing this to a head and he's going to deal with this. And Judah is the leader. And he just says, God has found out the iniquity of your servants. There's no wine and being merry now. We're just, we're just done. Whatever comes our way, we deserve. And please, please have mercy, essentially, is what we see. But in this moment, the same person who came up with the idea to sell Joseph for 20 pieces of silver, he's the one who's going to rise to the occasion. He's the one that's going to go from goat to hero. And don't we just love it when we see people who go from a goat the scapegoat to the hero. So the first thing we really see tonight in this text is the rematch. We see the rematch because as Judah had betrayed one of the two half-brothers through Rachel, tonight he has the rematch to make it right with the other half-brother, Benjamin. We've got a rematch And we pick it up in verse 18. In this moment of truth, what's going to happen? What is going to happen right now in this moment of truth? Is Judah going to let Benjamin, is he going to let the same thing repeat of heartache to his dad that he let happen 20 years before and the brothers were all in on with the exception of Benjamin? What is going to happen? It's the defining, it's the most critical day of Judah's life since the betrayal of Joseph for 20 pieces of silver. And we might also say, we remember in this chapter of Judah where his daughter-in-law tricked him into having relationship with her to have the son because he didn't fulfill his vows to her with the other son. 
And he accused her of being a harlot and was going to burn her at the stake. And then when she said, well, this is the man that did this. And it was Judah who did it, his signet ring and his staff. And he said, you are more righteous than I. So we know that we have an event in his life that had broken him where he acknowledged that the woman who was going to burn at the stake was more righteous than him. We know that that event happened. And now we have this event. Judah is a key tab in the tabs of open elements in this story. Judah is a key person. And now... It's his moment to step up. Verse 18. Then Judah came near to him and said, Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing and do not let your anger burn against your servant, for you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servants, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age who is young. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father, for if we should leave his father, his father would die. But you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall see my face no more. So it was when we went up to your servant, my father, that we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, go back and buy us a little food. But we said, we cannot go down if our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down. For we may not see the man's face until unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons, and the one went out from me, and I said, surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. But if you take this one also from me, and calamity befalls him, you shall bring me down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Verse 30. Now therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, It will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety or guarantee for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go to my father if the lad is not with me, lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father. So Judah rises to the occasion. God gives us rematches. You know, there's, we, we, we hate great failures. I mean, there's just times we have colossal failures in our life that just, it's not like, I mean, if you're at church on Tuesday night, it's not like you like woke up today and say, man, I just hope I have failure. I just can't wait to do something that, you know, stumbles people or train wrecks my life. Most of us don't think that way. But sometimes certain events happen that bring out something in us that we're like, wow, I didn't like that. That was pretty ugly. And then, you know, if you drift, 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 then you really set yourself up for being, being cut away and falling into a bad way. And while we would say we can't underestimate how far-reaching a bad decision can be or bad actions affecting our entire life, for example, getting in the car, drinking alcohol, and getting a, uh, in a car accident and killing someone as a drunk driver, or getting a, a, a DUI and having that work against you to try and, get a, try and get a job, right? Like, you know, like if you're trying to get a job that involves driving a vehicle and you got a DUI, a couple of DUIs, that's like pretty, that'll work against you, right? You can have a felony, you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, there's a fight and you were there and then charges came against you because you were there and yet you, you have felony assault and you have, now you're a felon on your record and there are things we do that can be so far reaching that we cannot change. But even as one day can be so magnifying for a colossal failure, 
of even epic proportion like Judah's was and these brothers, this one day can be the rematch that sets us up for something just as grand of redemption and restoration. Because this is redemption for Judah. This is his moment of redemption. This rematch is where he redeems himself. It's kind of like in sports when, you know, quarterback throws an interception. He goes, don't worry, it's on me, it's on me. When they live mic him, I'll get it back, I'll get it back. I'll get this back. Don't worry, this is on me. And then they do get it back. And it's like there's that redemption. We love stories about redemption. But redemption is always preceded by something of a failure. So you have a rematch that allows for redemption. And we can't change yesterday. We know that. It is amazing to me how we just simply cannot change yesterday. Yesterday is yesterday. So we have to always stay focused on now, here and now. Here and now. Sitches visigonia, Russian. Aquí ahora, Spanish. Here and now. That's what we have. And the beautiful thing about walking with the Lord is, where there has been failure and where there's been things we like to forget, more often than not, we get a rematch and we get a chance to show that we've grown. Those moments of rematch reveal what's in us. Did we learn the lesson? Were we repentant? Have we, been, have we grown from correction? It says in Hebrews with chasing of the Lord that we've been taught by it. Have we meditated in a good way upon things that how it happened you know all in sports there's just so much game film right when I worked with the U.S. Olympic Committee and coaching and stuff so much of what they do is data analysis as to why someone was successful why someone was a failure looking at game film and these sorts of things and can we learn from situations that we failed in and have rematches where we have Redemption. Sometimes it's a major thing, sometimes it's a minor, but I think in my own life, early on in our marriage, Jennifer and I, when we go to my family gatherings, well, and hers too, they would always involve alcohol. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you know this. Like, you know, like I'm saying, like, you just have family members and you have Thanksgiving or you have Christmas or Fourth of July, Memorial Weekend, George Washington birthday with a cherry cake, cherry pie, whatever. Like, you know, there's, you know, if you want to drink, there's no shortage of reasons to drink, right? St. Patrick's Day, like all these silly holidays we have now that they're basically drinking holidays. And early on, when we were first married, like, we would go to my family's house or whatever and, and, People start drinking, and you know what? Once you can put it on the clock, once the drinking, once the alcohol starts going, you can just put it on the timer, like, get that about 30 minutes, 45 minutes, hour and a half. It gets really ugly. And then it brings out the worst in you as well when people push your buttons and people start saying stuff unfiltered. And we had some, I had, not my wife, I had some disastrous moments with my family because the family wants to remind you of your previous failures and your previous sin in many cases. And alcohol just remove the filter where common sense would tell them not to do that. So then they'll do it without filter. And so like you want some of this and then like then you, you go out, you take the bait, you go home, everyone feels bad and defiled and it's a horrible event. But you know when you learn from that is when you learn like, okay, we've got a family thing, move up the timeline. We do mid-afternoon, not late afternoon. We arrive early and the moment it starts going, 
Hey, we're on the countdown, like a NASA launch till this car leaves the family gathering. Yeah, we're on a countdown. Oh, there it is. Yep, there it is. There's the hard stuff. Hey, 20 minutes next heat. Like in pro serving, there's usually 20-minute heat, so like you check in for your heat, like checking in. You got like, you're on, the, you're on the countdown. You're just reverse engineering. It's like, yeah, I'm bailing out in 20 minutes. So, hey, we're driving away from this, park, this driveway in 20 minutes. That's what you, how you learn things, right? Like you get a rematch and you learn, don't take the bait, whatever. So those are moderate types of rematches that we can talk about where you just kind of learn and grow and, and you, just, you just learn like, hey, I can refrain from speaking and I can always say something later on if I need to, but you know, sin's not failing in the multitude of words, so maybe I should just not speak and then I can always go back and speak but not with raw emotion. Like those are things you just learn. But this is major. This is macro. And on this rematch... Judah is triumphant. Because think about the contrast. On this side of 20 years, he, for 20 pieces of silver, sells his baby brother into slavery. Like, who would do something so cruel and so malicious? You talk about human trafficking, that's what it is. But here, 20 years later, he's over here, and now he's willing to go into slavery for the brother. That is a complete 180 flip on application and action of faith. Praise the Lord, which I mentioned Saturday night. It's always too early to quit. Don't give up. We, we can't beat ourselves up for past failures because there's nothing we can do about them. But we can strengthen ourselves for current challenges and future victories. Like David, we could strengthen ourselves in the Lord and gird up the loins of our minds and be ready for what comes next. But just know this, there's lots of rematches. How about Peter? He denies the Lord three times, then he tells the Lord three times he loves him. Peter, so afraid to be identified with Jesus on the night Jesus was betrayed, but how bold is Peter on the day of Pentecost? You crucified him and we are witnesses. I mean, the, you get that. I mean, you get, you get some rematches. And so let's be encouraged like with our past failures to not dwell on them, but to be set up for success and victory when we face those same challenges in the future. I think a lot of times God keeps people alive so they can be ready for those rematches and have victory in those rematches before they step into eternity. I really believe that. I truly believe that. My mom and dad were divorced in 76. They Neither one remarried. They're always like pretty good friends. They live two miles apart and were essentially married but lived in set of separate rooms, separate houses. And... My dad lived in the valley. My mom lived on the hill. It's just like classic stuff. And my mom would always kind of, my dad would, my, well, it's been said that my mom loved my dad, but my dad was always in love with my mom. And the kids, we all grew up, the grandkids grew up in this, this whole situation. And I'll never forget where, when my mom almost died four years ago, and she said, I just don't know why God brought me back. And I, I said those famous words, I think he brought you back. To, to have a chance to really show love to dad in a good way. And, you know, my mom blew a gasket. It was the last time she really ever got, like, really, really mad at me. Like, just, yeah, like, I mean, like, like, yeah, I'm the middle child. And when she gets mad at the middle child, man, there's, there's no tomorrow. And, but I mentioned before my mom passed away last year, and really, randomly, and just having these peaceful conversations, the best two years of our life between me and her, the last two years, where she said to me, you know, Joe, I think the Lord kept me alive to just really love your father the way I was supposed to as a wife when I didn't. I was like, 
don't say anything, right? You know? But I was like, wow. Like, what a wow moment, right? Now, remember, she was, she was we were told she was going to die two years ago. And the priest came to read her her last rites the next morning. That night when she was dying, she's like, Joe, I thirst. And it was the craziest. I'll never forget that night. And I call my brother. Mom's going to die tonight. And, you know, we have to figure out everything is going to be in motion tomorrow. And I go in the next morning. It's a Tuesday morning. She's like, what are you doing here? You got to go teach a Bible study tonight. You just missed the priest. He read me my last rites. He did a terrible job. But he needed practice. That's literally what she said. If you know, like, the Catholic mindset, you can really appreciate that, too. He's like, he needs practice. You need to go teach a Protestant Bible study. Now get home. And, but to have her say that, see, I really believe that there's people in our lives that we love and care about, strangers, acquaintances in our life, that somehow, someway, certain events of their lives interwoven and connected to ours has something to do with God's plan in preparing them for eternity, not just for salvation, like uh, Danny was sharing about, you know, the, the Taekwondo instructor for miles, but for things like my mom's story. Like, do you know how sweet it was for me to hear my mom say that? You know how much it hurt when my parents got divorced when I was 16 in 1976? Like, you guys have had parents get divorced, depending on what age you were, it had different impacts on you. And I was just like, man, like, I was gutted. And have my mom say that? Yeah. We can't go back and undo the divorce. I always offered to redo my parents' wedding, by the way. They both said no, no, no. It's okay. <laughs> but, you know, when I called my dad the night, my mom was, she, had, she was passing or had passed, but she was still alive, her body. And I said, Dad, do you want to come say goodbye to Mom? And he said, yes, I do. And he did, you know. And he, I always say, I, I, I wrote down the quote. It's in my phone. He said, Diane, I've always loved you, and I always will. And, man, like, that was like doing his wedding vows, and I was in the room. And Timmy was there, Leah was there, and Jennifer was there. It was an amazing night, December 28th. She passed on December 29th legally. So, like, this Judah story, don't miss this. In this whole story of Joseph, this is really happy. It is happy. Like, the previous chapter, ended on fake happy. They're drinking wine, they're married, like, <laughs> no, that's not happy. That's stupid. Okay, you know, like, this is happy. Now, he's already cried for his brothers privately for their sin, how it affected them. He's cried for his brothers, his, for Benjamin privately when he saw his brother for what he lost and missed out on on 20 years of not having that relationship with his brother. And now he's just going to cry so loud, everyone in Egypt can hear it. 20 years of his being gutted and all the hurt and all the affliction and all the sorrow just ripped out. Praise the Lord. Redemption, rematch and redemption for Judah. Well done, Judah. We tip our hat to you. Well done. One of the worst stories and one of the most malicious acts in the Bible perpetrated by one person or another is redeemed fully as he himself is willing to go into slavery for the rest of his life. Which just goes to prove you can be free in your exterior environment, be a prisoner in your internal environment. But you can be incarcerated in your exterior environment and be free in your internal environment. I'd rather be a slave in the house of Pharaoh, free with my conscience and my heart right with God, than to be outside of Pharaoh's prison free, but a slave to my conscience condemning me. Chapter 45, Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out for me. 
And so no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. And then he said, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years of the famine have been in the land, and there are still five years in which will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all of his house and a ruler throughout all of the land of Egypt. Hurry, go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. You shall be near to me, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that we have and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen, and you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. And moreover, he kissed all of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked to him. Man, our God is the God of restoration and renewal and revival. This is one of the most powerful stories in the entire Bible of restoration. Of course, it's a type of Christ, too, that in Adam all sin and die, but in Christ Jesus all are made alive through faith in Jesus. For in the first Adam all die, but in the second Adam Christ all are made alive. And Jesus is the second Adam. And that's a story of redemption and reconciliation to the Father from the glory that was lost through the original sin from the head of our race, Adam. It's the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We also know as a type that when Jesus comes a second time, the nation of Israel will recognize him. And it says that they'll look upon him whom they pierced and they'll realize that Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, was in fact the promised Messiah to Israel all that time. They'll look upon him who they pierced as a nation when he comes at his second coming, when he splits the Mount of Olives and establishes his kingdom, heaven on earth, in the fulfillment of all those promises and prophecies of the Old Testament, his second coming. Jesus taught so much on his second coming. The New Testament writers preached so much and wrote so much on the second coming of Jesus Christ and all the idiosyncrasies and variations that people have of what they think it's going to look like as it plays out. We can agree on one macro thought. Jesus is coming again. A second time. And he's coming to rule and reign as the king of kings. And the nation of Israel will be existent when he comes. And every Jewish ethnic person on the planet who rejects Jesus as the Messiah, who is alive when Christ comes, will look upon him whom they pierced. At his second coming, he's revealed to his brethren as the king of the Jews, but king of kings. And so even as Joseph was rejected by his brothers at 17 for the dream that they'd all bow down to him, and they rejected his place of authority and that calling, in the second time, he's revealed to his brothers and they recognize him as the Lord. It's a type of Christ. And even as 
whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Even as we're told, forgetting those things that are behind, we press on to what lies ahead to the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. Even as everything in the gospel is about our sins being crucified with Jesus and our hope and justification being raised with him from the grave, so too in this story, Joseph says, you didn't do it. When the Passion movie came out over 10 years ago, it was quite the hot topic to interview everybody and everybody. Who crucified Jesus? The Jews? The Romans? And Greg Lloyd just said, God crucified Jesus. Because God so loved the world, he gave his son. And Jesus submitted to the perfect will of the Father. If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But there was no other way. That was the way of redemption for our souls. For the redemption of our souls is very costly. God gave his son. And here Joseph provides his brothers complete, total forgiveness and restoration to him. And he says, God did it. God did it. So we can say, yes, we crucified Jesus for our sins. We're born by him on the cross. The Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all, Isaiah 53. But really God did it because God so loved the world, he gave his son. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God having passed from death to life, being born of the spirit. It's a type of the gospel right here in all of its glory. God has so many shadows and types and prophecies and typologies in the Old Testament. Isn't this beautiful? It's a type of the gospel. Or as Colossians says, a shadow of things to come, but the fullness is Christ. This is the shadow of things to come. And he says, don't don't beat yourselves up. We come to the cross when we receive Christ with brokenness and humility, but whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. All things have passed away, all things are new. So we go forward. We can't change how we parented before we came to Christ. We can't change how we were a husband or wife before we came to Christ. We can't change what kind of a high school student we were. We can't change how we treated people that we traveled with, right? You know, we, just, we can't change uh, public information that's out there of things we said, right? But we can only go forward with who we are today in the newness of Christ. Receiving that forgiveness, receiving that restoration to the Father, and boldly coming to the throne of grace in time of need. That's what we can do. These guys are going to have a hard time forgiving themselves. In Genesis 50, they're going to be like, now that dad's dead, is he going to just bring the hammer? No. God is good, and God is light, and him is no darkness at all. And God is love, and God is righteous, and God is just. But he paid the price on his son. So we're not under the wrath of God. Those who reject Christ are under the wrath of God. They're born under the wrath of God. We're automatically into the wrath of God, but we pass from death to life in Christ. And we're in the family. We're in the state. We're in the trust. You and I, through faith in Jesus Christ, we're in the trust. You might not have a lawyer send them to you, but no, no letter form or written by a lawyer could top this right here, the promises in this word to us, that we're joint heirs with Christ Jesus, and we're firmly adopted in the family. And all the promises are, are yes, yes, and yes, and Amen. And we're told in Romans 8 that we go through afflictions and trials because it proves us worthy of the estate and of the trust. So when we step into eternity, we enter into that glory and the estate is there and we serve with the king. And it's just a whole other dimension beyond our comprehension that Danny was singing about earlier in song number two, the hymn. It's a glorious restoration of the relationships. Joseph is restored in relationship with his brothers. And how about Benjamin, the weeping? He weeps with Benjamin. Benjamin's weeping. You know, it's good to be tenderhearted where it's okay to cry because sometimes people cry with you. I was crying with Randy and Minnie about my mom because, you know, Randy's lost his mom and he can relate. And it just, I just started 
sobbing uncontrollably a couple of weeks ago, and then Minnie just totally starts crying because she's going through a lot with her mom, and she's empathetic, and she understands. I have people that say to me all the time, like, I'm sorry about your mother, and I just want to cry right away. But that empathy, and you're like, God gives us emotion, and I, I like Benjamin crying here. I like, think of the emotion of the crying. Like, you know, it, Jennifer teaches pre-K, right? She's the director of pre-K over at Calvary. And they have the little facial features for emotions, like calm for a two-year-old, like angry, sad. You know, like they have the visuals of the emotions. And, you know, and they have the same, Miss Judy, who works in the front office, the MCA would be like, oh, are we just a little bundle of emotions today? Like, you don't know if you're sad or mad or happy. It's like, like, and we get jumbled up in our emotions, right? Like, I'm so mad, and then you start crying. I'm so sad. I'm not really mad. I'm sad. And then I'm happy because you just like, well, what is it? Right? Well, how about just this raw emotion? Joseph's crying so loud, it's like a wailing. It's a wailing. I mean, it's, you know, sometimes you can hear your neighbor's business, not that you really want to. But Joseph didn't even care. He's crying so loud that Pharaoh's palace hears it. They're like, goodness gracious, can you turn it down? No, it's all things are open and raw. And the brothers are like blown away. Like, yeah, it's Joseph. Suddenly it all clicks, right? When you see an old high school friend 20 years later, yeah, that's so-and-so. Wow, right? It's Joseph. But he says, I forgive you. Isn't that beautiful? Don't you want to be able to look at anyone that's ever wronged you? 20 years later, and say, I love you and I forgive you? Don't you want to give him a big old hug and target and say, it's okay? Like, don't you want to be that person? You don't ever want to run into anybody at any time in your life and feel malice toward them. You don't want to, oh, I'm not going down that aisle. You want to be like, dude, bro, how you doing, man? How's it going? Like, that's who you want to be. That's who we want to be. That's who we have to be. And Christ will help us to be that person because blessed are the peacemakers. And peacemakers make peace because they've forgiven those who have tried to destroy them. My peace I leave you, my peace I give you. And I'll keep thee in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee because he trusts in thee. You let it go, you forgive, you forgive, you forgive. Yeah. Oh, Joseph's such a hero. And the brothers are crying. They're all reconciled. Like, so dude, what's it like living in Egypt? <laughs> You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, they were, you know, so, so, bro, like, man, can I, can I study your business model on how you did all this? You know, like, take it back to Canaan in a few years. You know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like so, uh, just like, how's dad? Like, what's, oh, man, it's awesome. Which brings us to the last part of the story. Jacob, pick it up in verse 16. Now, the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come, so it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this, load your animals and depart, go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your household and come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are commanded to do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives. Bring your father and come. Also do not be concerned about what goods, are, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. He gave them, all of them, to each 
man changes of garments. But to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. And he sent to his father these things, 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt, 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. So he sent his brothers away and they departed. And he said to them, see that you do not become troubled along the way. Then they went up out of Egypt, came to the land of Canaan, to Jacob, their father, and they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and he is governor over the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still, because he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Then Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive, and I will go and see him before I die. Man, what a happy day. Now, Judah was rematch and redemption. Joseph and his brothers is just forgiveness and restoration. Renewal, restoration. Jacob is far more reaching. This is resurrection and rejoicing. This is resurrection and rejoicing. Joseph, in his mind, was dead for 20 years, and now he receives his son back from the grave after 20 years. Now, when Abraham went to go offer up Isaac on Mount Moriah three generations before this, it says that the three-day journey to Mount Moriah, he said, the boy now will come back, which the lad, he's a young adult. And we're told in Hebrews 11 that he considered his son as good as dead, but he knew that they're coming down from the mountain together. And we're told that he received his son back in a type of the resurrection, even as the father and the whole universe receives Jesus back in the resurrection after three days. And of course, Jesus was crucified on the same place where Abraham offered up Isaac 2,000 years before, son of promise. God provided his own sacrifice. And Abraham and Isaac is a type of what the father and the son would do at the same spot 2,000 years later. But here's a type of receiving someone back from the, from the dead. This is a 20-year resurrection. Could you imagine if someone that was very close to you that you loved and they went missing at sea, which is more plausible in our day and age, or, or they just disappeared like a missing person? I mean, you do have that happen, right? Like there are certain missing people that were abducted or whatever, and then 20, 30 years later they figure out like, hey, we're so-and-so, or a... a Twins separated at birth that were adopted out and they realized and they have this connection. And, you know, there's things like that that does happen. But if you really knew someone and you thought they were deceased for 20 years, and listen, let's be honest, what could equal the, 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 the relationship of parents and children? Because the loss of a child is just so gut-wrenching. And to think by a wild animal. Like, you, you just couldn't go there, right? You understand that? Like, you just, you just could not go there. Like, you think, like, a, it, being killed by a drunk driver, you, you can't go there and think about it, but like a wild animal attacking your child, you just, man, you, just, you can't go there. You just don't even, you just, you can't go there. So for 20 years, no finality, no burial, just a piece of garment with goat's blood on it, thinking it's your son's blood that your son's deceived you with. So when the news comes, we're told he literally, like, his heart stopped. I mean, that's what the Holy Spirit says. It's like, like he skipped a beat. Like he skipped a beat. And it says he was revived when he fully 
understood. Now, when you know elderly people, if you take care of elderly people, which some of you have done and do do presently, or you understand, like, like sometimes it takes a little while to process stuff. Like when I say, it's a little fuzzy. Like, I have to talk slower with my dad now than I ever did before. When I'm talking to dad, like I did today, like, so pop, sunrise, we're waiting on a studio, we're going to get you from point A to point B, when the... Okay, yeah, all right, you know, like, but if I go just a little too fast, like when I do sometimes here, dad's like, huh? Right, you know, I can still have phone calls with my 89-year-old dad, which is a good thing, by the way. So can you imagine Jacob's old? He's going to talk about how old he is in the next chapter when he meets Pharaoh, like, dude, I'm an old man. So it's like, huh? Huh? You know, like, literally, like, you have to understand this is what happened. And like, dad, pop, sit down. What? what? Joseph? What? This really happened. This isn't something like fairy tale. This is the word of God. This happened. And Jacob, heel grabber, becomes Israel, governed by God. And the Lord Jesus Christ comes through his descendants. He's a critical person in human history. In the messianic plan of redemption. And so we close with this thought. You just don't know what seems dead for 20 years that God might revive. It's unlikely that we'll receive someone back from the dead that we've known to be dead for 20 years. But you know, there's things that you feel like have died or been killed or struck down by the Lord or struck down by other people. You just don't know in one day what the Lord might bring back from the dead for you. Our beloved and good friend, Brian Jameson, when he went to Haiti last year on the mission trip, of course, we'd, he lost his 10-year-old daughter to cancer one of the most difficult, painful things I've ever been a part of in my life. And it's a while ago, almost 10 years ago, but it was, yeah, it's unmatched in grief and sorrow. And Brian is the most positive person you ever knew. He was my assistant here for five years. And of course, he pastors Orange County Christian Fellowship. And I used to say, Brian, you never have any bad days, but, and he goes, well, it's, it's always a happy day with the Lord. But after he lost his daughter, he'd tell me, no, I, I have bad days. And when he went to Haiti last year in this amazing trip with Brian McDaniel and all this stuff, he came back and he was so excited. They almost got destroyed in a mob and all this stuff. And, but he came back and he said, you know, Joey, when Trinity died, some, a part of my heart died. There was a part of me that died. He says, literally, a part of my heart died. And he goes, in Haiti, God gave it back to me. He gave it back. By his own testimony, Brian Jameson declares last year, in the year of our Lord, 2019, that something that died when he buried his 10-year-old daughter, it came back to life in 2019 on a mission trip in Haiti. And you know, I got to say, I've been hanging out with Brian a lot lately. He seems like the old Brian. The Brian that never has a bad day, but he does, like all of us. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that a beautiful story? We just don't know what seems dead that God could bring back to life. I mean, Moses' calling seemed dead for 40 years, right? He, he tried to deliver the people in his own strength. He's in the wilderness for 40 years thinking, I'm nothing. He's, he reaches 80. He's like, oh, here I am, another day with the sheep on the backside of the mountain. You know? And then God appears to him in the burning bush. And then the staff in your hand, it becomes this, it becomes that. Your hand's like this, it goes like that. It's like God, it all came back to life. A calling and a vision and a dream that seems so dead, God resurrected at the burning bush. So 
this part of the story is just the sealing fruit to remind all of us. From Judah, we learn it's too early to quit. And there's going to be a rematch and prepare ourselves for it. They're still on the schedule. We'll face that again. Somehow, some way, maybe not the exact same thing, but similar that will bring forth the same character test that we can pass. And God may be keeping, alive, keeping us alive just to do that. And, you know, we can receive that forgiveness in Christ like Joseph showed his brothers, and we can be that person that shows that reconciliation and blessed are the peacemakers. But here with Jacob, it's the renewal of things that we thought were dead brought back to life by the power of God. In the next chapter next week, we'll see him just praising God. Just praising God. He gets better and better and better. He does really well in memory care. Assisted living. Down the stretch, he does really well. He does, you know, because some people do well, really well in those things, and some don't do as well. I hang out in assisted living places. Let me, I've been in memory care all week with my father-in-law moving up. There are people in memory care that do better than others. There are people that keep growing in the Lord to the last day, and there are people that gave up on the Lord a long time ago. I leave us tonight with this thought. What incredible work of the Spirit, what incredible promise of God, what incredible things of God that we thought died or were killed or beyond us is God going to resurrect for you and I in 2020. That takes our breath away. <gasps> like, this is the most joyful moment imaginable because his mind says, could it be, could it be the best news ever in my life? And he was revived. May God revive us and bring back to life things that we thought we gave up on that God wants to do in our lives going forward. What might he resurrect that's a good thing to resurrect, that's a glorious thing to resurrect, that strengthens our faith and moves us forward into the next great season of our life.